from HerbMentor.com, this is HerbMentor Radio. Hello, everyone out there. Um, I'm John Gallagher from LearningHerbs.com, and welcome to our herbal teleconference series. Um, this week, we are with herbalist Betsy Bancroft from United Plant Savers, and uh, we have a great call tonight, just like um, last week. Hold, hold on, hang on to the end of the call, because we have another really cool herbal learning gift to raffle off. And um, also, if any of you get kicked off accidentally, just call back. Um, and so you know, um, you're all muted out, so if you have uh, kids screaming in the background or whatever, no worries, we can't hear it, um, so scream away. Um, and uh, But first, before we got started here, I just wanted to let you know that um, when when I first started learning about plants, um, it was at Wilderness Awareness School where I've been uh, working for about 16 years, and um, so I've, I've, I naturally had an ethic towards uh, treating plants, wildlife, with respect for my work there. And uh, I met a professional wildcrafter named Michael Polarski out here in, in the Northwest and where I live. And uh, early on in my training, and uh, what he was telling me made sense, um, that when we're gathering, uh, that we have to have really respect for the plants and the, and the environment in mind. And uh, he told me about a group called United Plant Savers, and he sold me a book by Gregory Tilford called From Earth to Herbalist. And I know many of you on this call actually have it, because I require it for the Roots and Branches course that comes with the Herbal Medicine Making Kit. Um, so tonight we're going to get a deeper look into what drives us here at LearningHerbs.com and what our motivation and passion is behind this business. Um, and, uh, and you'll also see why we created Wildcraft, our new board game, because a, a, a portion of the proceeds of our game will be donated to United Plants Savers on an ongoing basis to give back to what um, the incredible work that they're doing. Um, so uh, I'd like to introduce you to an amazing herbalist, and uh, and um, I knew her remotely from a, a mutual friend of ours, right, Mark Tolleson, yeah. um, is the director of the uh, Wilderness Youth Project, and just found out that his wife's going to have a baby in March. Yeah. Um, and they taught at the tracker school, Tom Brown's tracker school, uh, together, right? I mean, you were... Uh, um, Mark and I did teach the plants yeah. together and um, the uh, wild edible section of the standard class. Well, he he sent me a big bag of organic astragalus root once and said it came. He got it from you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's what. And then now and then I found out you know, you're working at United Plant Savers and uh, so you worked at uh, with herbalists and alchemists for 15 years. You've taught in classes in field botany, conservation minded collection and introductory herbal studies at arboretums and herbal conferences and all kinds of stuff and um, a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild that's a lot so uh, so I'm pleased to welcome Betsy Bancroft hi Betsy yeah. hi thank you so much I'm, I'm honored to be here I really am oh cool that's good yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. so um, I'm sure the conversation is going to wind all over the place but um oh, i guess a good place to start is like you know what's your story how did you get started in all this well i do i have a little story about that um i love stories and um when i was a little kid my dad told me a story from when he was a little kid and uh his his parents learned about jewelweed from a farmer and always you know took care of my dad and my uncle with um we grew up in New Jersey, so there was plenty of poison ivy there. And this friend of my dad's um, got a really wicked case of poison ivy, and nothing could cure it. I mean, they were bathing him in calamine lotion, and um, nothing would touch it. So my grandmother went out and got what what they called waterweed, which is jewelweed in patients, and uh, doctored this, this boy and uh, cleared it right up. And his father worked in a lab somewhere and, you know, immediately thought, oh, I'm going to bottle this and get rich. <laughs> and so he did. He, well, he tried. He took, you know, a bunch of the herb to his lab and, and you know, tried to extract it or whatever he did. And uh, uh, he couldn't he couldn't make anything useful out of it. So I learned from that story that herbs are magic and you can't necessarily put that magic in a bottle. <laughs> mm. And you know, so I started using that plant when I was a kid and then eating um a lot of wild fruits 
um, cherries and raspberries and grapes where I grew up. And then I found a mint patch and started making tea and just um, really always was a a nature child. You know, I hung out with the plants a lot. And um, then I, I met my teacher, David Winston, and started studying formally about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and, that's my and, start. Um, so, when you're uh, come working with herbs and, and and helping people with things, I mean, uh, uh, when you're learning about, you come from a place first of, um, I, and I asked a guest last week of a place where you're coming from, um, learning about the plants and then seeing what the plants have to offer, or a place of like, what's your ailment and trying to fi- figure out a way to cure the ailment. Well, it depends on the situation. I, I try to get to know the plants in my neighborhood. Um, I look at plants that, like like friends of mine, you know, my my friends and neighbors or the, the green people who live around me. So I try to get to know the plants close to me. Like lately I've been studying Canada Mayflower because um, it's abundant in the forest here and it's a new plant for me. I didn't see it where I used to live. And... Um, so I take it from that perspective, but then I also, um, you know, people ask me, well, what do I do for this? Or if if I have a um, an ailment or something, I, I always treat myself with herbs. And so then I come from the other perspective of, okay, well, what, so what might be useful for this person in this condition? And I, and I always say, what's useful for this person? Because I'm always treating the person. I'm not... You know, what's good for acne? You know, it could be a whole bunch of different herbs are good for acne, but what's good for this person in this situation right now today? And uh, and then I, I look in the books, you know, I might taste some plants, but um, I might I might know something off the top of my head. But um, mm-hmm. So it's some of each, really. That's um, often the overwhelming thing when people want to approach learning about herbs is it just seems so huge. There's... So many ailments, things that can happen to us. There's so many yeah. plants out there. You look in books and you look in a lot of herbals and there's a list of ten herbs that you can possibly use and right, how much right. you want. And, and so, um, yeah. How narrow I, that down? Yes, exactly. So what would you recommend to someone who... Oh, yeah, this is a wonderful question. Yeah. Um, and I've taught a lot of introductory classes. And, and what I say is, you know, start with something that you already like like some herb that you like to cook with like maybe you like to cook with rosemary or maybe you really like ginger or maybe your whole lawn is plantain <laughs> you know what i mean um pick just one plant at a time and get to know it really well in in terms of its flavor so make make a cup of tea with just that one herb and get to know its flavor um you know chew on it as long as it's an edible plant um Chew on it, really get a sense of its flavor, its its character. For example, when you chew on a leaf, you can tell if it's astringent. Astringents are, are drying. They, they tighten up tissue, um, kind of makes you pucker. Um, or or demulcent, which is like if you, um, if you chewed on a piece of marshmallow root, it would get really slimy. Um, or if you made some linden flower tea or something, you'll, you'll feel that, that mucilaginousness. And those two are are really important medicinal qualities to understand. And uh, so, you, when you when you really check out one plant and really get to know it, maybe look it up in a couple books, you know, see what other people say about it. But but really trust your own experience of, of that plant, um, and just build on that from there. You know, if it's if it's one plant a week, if it's one plant a month, or whatever your time frame is, it doesn't matter one bit. Just mm-hmm. um, you know, just like you you get to know a couple of friends really, really well, and you can rely on them in a lot of situations where if you had, you know, a hundred acquaintances, it wouldn't be as useful to you as five really good friends. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's funny you say that because um, I worked 11 years as director of the Kamana Naturalist Training Program at Wilderness Awareness School, and I talked to people on the phone every week about this, and I guess exactly the point I would always make is that, you know, when people are inspired to learn about something and something that seems really huge, it seems really huge, but you know what, if you look around, there's a lot of people, too, 
and you don't know all of them, and you don't feel like you need to know all of them. But you know what? You really do feel like you have to have some a few close friends or family members that you get to know well, and it's mm-hmm. no different at all with herbs, is it? No, no, it's the same thing. And then mm-hmm. you even, I mean, you can take that further and say, well, you know, in the woods I'm likely to find this person, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a useful analogy. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you're there working now with United Plant Savers, and you and you moved to Vermont. And um, I did. Tell 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 me tell me about more about the organization because you know I I know a bit about it and um, just from in the pet, but I'd like to hear uh, oh sure who works there. <laughs> sure. Um, United Plant Savers was founded by a group of herbalists about 12 years ago. Um, Rosemary Gladstar, who many people have heard of or, or have um, taken classes with is really quite the visionary. Uh, she starts things, <laughs> herbal things. She does. And fortunately, um, a lot of great people have perpetuated the things that she started, like the California School of Herbal Studies. And so um, things were really heating up at that point. Um, you know, the, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act was passed in the late um in the 90s, and the herb industry started to really perk up, and she was teaching, and a lot of other people had started teaching, and they, they looked around and said, hey, you know what? If this keeps building, the plants are going to be at risk. And, you know, the plants, and ginseng was already um, an endangered species because it's been exported for 300 years, and um, cultivation has, has um, there's a lot of people cultivating ginseng, but but the pressure on the wild stands is still immense, and uh, golden seal is catching up as far as its its endangeredness and lady slipper and so forth. Mm-hmm. So this this group of herbalists um, decided to be proactive and do something about that. So they founded this little organization called United Plant Savers. And what we do, um, let's see, I can read you our official mission, which is to preserve, conserve, and restore native medicinal plants and their habitats in the U.S. and Canada while ensuring their abundant renewable supply for future generations. So they wanted to make sure that our plants would be here, and not only just for human use, but especially rosemary recognizes very um, strongly that the plants need the plants too. You know, these healing herbs are, are also medicine for the the other beings in the forest and the Here's health of the ecology. Here's beeping and stuff going on. Um, this is just people, um, sometimes, I don't know, it's at the service. Sometimes people are dropping or coming on. It, it didn't happen last uh, week, but apparently it's a little bit of a technical glitch we're having. So if you can just ignore those things and just listen to us talk, then that's the best we can do. Apologize. Okay. Sorry, Betsy. That's all right. So, um, so what we do is we have a... a number of different programs all geared toward um, raising consciousness about conservation of medicinal plants and especially sustainable use, like read the label, you know, make sure it's organic golden seal instead of uh, wildcrafted, etc. Um, we offer a lot of resources for people who want to teach about native medicinal plant conservation and, and also who want to grow medicinal plants from you know, just replenishing their own uh, land or growing their own for their own use or going into it as a as a livelihood. Like saying so, so someone who, like, really wanted to use golden seal could choose to actually grow golden seal. Sure, if they, they had the right habitat for it. To find out how. Right, or ginseng or... or right. Or. Well, echinacea. What about echinacea? Tell, tell. I bet you have something to say about that. Oh, sure. Well, echinacea. I mean, there's a number of different species. Um, echinacea purpurea is ridiculously easy to grow and just a gorgeous plant. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that's specifically uh, at risk is the prairie coneflowers, like the echinacea angustifolia. Because what happened was when the echinacea boom happened, you know, and, and it became a very, very popular item in healthy food stores and so forth, um, the bigger companies were hiring people to just go out and dig it up. And oh. acres and acres of prairie, um, acres and acres of prairie areas of echinacea really got decimated. And, um, you know, perennial plants, when, when it's the root that's the part used and 
um, a lot of the perennials are slow-growing plants. You know, it takes a long time for them to, to be reproductively uh, fertile and so forth. They can't take that kind of um, harvesting pressure. You mm-hmm. know, John comes along and digs a few roots here and there. It's not a big deal. But when you have um, harvesting on that kind of commercial scale, it's a different story. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what are um, what would be some herbs that people really should look out for and and, and not pick that um, that that you know might be more at risk? Like common ones. Well, like things like lady slippers. You know, especially plants like that have very specific needs in terms of where they'll grow and who they grow with and so forth. So the more uh, shall we say choosy or the more um, factors a plant has for um, you know limited habitat or um, limited reproductive capability those, those plants are the ones we should be especially careful of and then you know plants like dandelion that reseed freely everywhere <laughs> mm-hmm. you know use no chance of over harvesting dandelions you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there's also ways around it for example you know you could just take part of a root um you can do this with ginseng even you know it, it's got if you've ever seen a ginseng root they have little branches like they call it the man root you know oh. and you can actually dig up a ginseng plant and cut part of the root off like this is what i would do if i really really needed some wild ginseng you know it's not a plant i would harvest just to have some on hand mm-hmm. but if i really needed it or for someone especially, um, I'd get some, and I would take part of the root. But if you replant the the rhizome, with the, what looks like the little neck where all the scars were, mm-hmm. and make sure that the um, the bud is is there, you replant that, and the plant goes back, and you get what you need, and the plant plant continues. It's all good. Also. Uh, can you speak then to and um, as far as like something that I, I tell people is, um, you know, one is because cause it's like, well, if there's a certain plant, what part do I pick or or how would I know this and all? Mm. I often say that, well, it's really good to get to know the plant first and get to know its life cycle and how it reproduces before. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it is important, you know, going back to what we were saying about really getting to know the plant, knowing its life cycle. I mean, plants perennial annual and biennial have basic life cycles but knowing which which of those a plant is um knowing what its traditional use is in terms of what part of the plant and and how either indigenous people or our grandparents um used it uh a lot of plants even though the root was the part traditionally used the leaves are also active you know, so if you want to get to know a plant that maybe you don't have any information on, check out the leaves first. You know, that's going to be the most sustainable, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a lot to know. Even one plant, there's a lot to know. <laughs> but um, Yeah, I mean, you can literally spend a lifetime studying one plant. and um, I know that. And also, you know, it depends on ecosystems. Let's say St. John's Wort, for example. Mm-hmm. Um grows on both sides of the mountains here in, in the northwest, and one's really wet side, which is where I live in the west of the Cascade Mountains, and then there's the east side of the Cascade. And you go to the east side of the Cascade Mountains and consider it like a noxious weed and it's everywhere, and people are, you know, you can go and harvest tons and tons and tons and bring it home and strip it down and whatever. But on this side of the mountains, it's a, uh, where I'm at, it's a, uh, it grows well pretty much in those dry, rocky areas, which will where it be is the is the highway medians, you know. And so it, you got to really search hard to find an off the road, off the trail, beaten path place where there's a nice patch of St. John's Wort growing. So harvesting it, you know, it's a kind of a, a you want to maintain a patch in that in that situation versus um, um, versus like just not thinking about all you're taking. You know, when you're in a huge field and you take a big bundle and you can still see a huge field, you know you're not making a big difference. But if you go in an area that doesn't have much, then so you really got to pay attention to your ecosystem and not just the life cycle of the plant. 
Oh, absolutely. How how big the population is has a has a whole lot to do with how much the plants can handle you harvesting. How and about also, also think about you know, um, I come by today and take a little bit, and you come by tomorrow and take a little bit, and our other student comes over the next day and takes a little bit. You know what I mean? How many people are are harvesting from that patch too? Um, so there's a you want you do want to think about. Um, how much the plants can sustain you taking it's it's not uh, so much about how much you need but about how much the plants can handle yeah, that's an important perspective i never got that perspective until i was reading i never thought of that little bit that you just said until i was reading through the first part of from earth to herbalist by gregory tolford uh-huh because he talks about that and i was just like oh yeah you, you don't think anyone else is out there picking stuff and then you, until you realize oh I guess there are other people out there oh, picking yeah. stuff especially if it's a choice plant in a choice spot yeah in the right oh, time wow. of year and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> there's certain things certain patches of things i tell people about and certain patches i never tell anybody about yeah <laughs> Yeah, everybody's like that. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when you're teaching a class. Patch. Yeah, yeah. You have to be careful not to bring your classes by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are some good wild crafting roots of thumb? And also, why don't you define wild crafting for us? Because we've got this sure. game coming out, and I get these emails sometimes. What's wild crafting? <laughs> what is wild crafting? I, I get those emails, too. Um <laughs> My definition of wild crafting is is harvesting something that's wild, you know, something that is in nature's garden and and not in a a human's garden. Right. And, um, yeah, there's some great rules of thumb. Um, Going back to what part of the plant, you want to think about harvesting the plant, the part of the plant where the energy is the highest. So you Oh, yes, please talk about this because I I feel stupid that when I was starting out that I didn't get this. Oh, this is important, yes. You know, so now I go, duh, but in the beginning I was like, (laughs) huh? So please talk about this because I know a lot of people listening are going, like, what What are they talking about? (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, you know, everything's based on energy. And it takes plant energy. um, Energy in the food chain comes from the sun. All the energy on the earth comes from the sun through the photosynthesis in the leaves. So when plants are real leafy and they're making leaves and they're doing their photosynthesis thing, that's where the energy is, is in the leaves. And then what the plant does is it stores that energy in its root and then it brings that energy back out to flower. Or maybe if it's an annual plant, it just stores up a lot of energy in the leaves and and then flowers and and goes to seed. So um, when the leaves are fresh and new and, and you know, real vital. That's when you want to harvest the leaves because that's when the energy is highest in that part. When the plant is blooming, when it's just going into bloom and it's just primo, that's when you want to harvest the flowers because that's when the energy is highest in the flowers. And then if the plant, if you want the seeds, you go for when the seeds are ripe, you know, when they're dry, um, maybe not completely dry, and you got to know the plants a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but the energy that plants, especially annual plants, put a lot of energy in the seed because that's their their next generation. They're depending on those seeds entirely for their next generation. Mm-hmm. And then with a, a biennial or a perennial plant, the plant then um, the energy descends into the root and is stored in the root for the for growing the next season. So. Um, Springtime is the best time to gather bark when the sap starts to run and the vitality of the plant is is coming back up out of the earth and and into the the limbs of the the shrub or the tree. So bark's in the spring. And then um, leaves and flowers in the summer. And, of course, that can be anywhere from spring until uh, later in the summer, depending on the bloom time of the plant. Well, sure, because if I'm out for wild edibles in the springtime, that's when they're most tender. If I'm going to make a salad with my exactly. favorite edibles, I want to exactly. go in the spring when they're green. Yeah. Yep. And then fall, like now, is the best time to gather roots because that's when the, the vitality is highest in the root. And if you had a biennial plant or a plant with a two-year life cycle, you would harvest the root the autumn of the first year because if you waited till the autumn of the second year after it's gone to seed, you'll have a slimy, stringy mess. 
when you dig up that root. There's nothing left because it's spent all its energy to reproduce. Oh. So that's a, a good rule of thumb you can kind of keep in mind. And then fruits, obviously, when they're when they're ripe, a lot of fruits are nicer actually after a, a frost, like um, rose hips. Rose hips. Later. Now, I got to ask you, since you just said rose hips, and 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 this is something that goes through my mind when I'm hard. Okay, here's the thing. Say um, we're, well, go, we go out as a family and we love to gather rose petals in June. And when the when the when they're all you know when they're all happening at the park, the wild roses, we love to fill the jar and we love to um, fill it with honey, you know, and make mm. rose honey. And and uh, and but as I'm picking, of course, you know, there's no way on these wild roses that our family could possibly make a dent. But what I wonder is that when I'm picking the rose petals for on the on the rose plant, like no matter what, will that Still turn into a hip. Depends on if it's been pollinated yet or not. Ah, uh, okay. If you if you pick right. those petals before the um, the pistils are ripe, being the right. female part, um, and the plant doesn't get and the, that flower doesn't get pollinated, then no, it won't make a hip. Uh, it okay. needs that pollination to happen, and the petals of a flower are like, here you go, pollinator, <laughs> here it is, <laughs> you know. They're a little beacon for pollinators. So, um, yeah, and that, you know, the other thing about how much you take, leave enough for the pollinators and the animals and the birds and everybody, too. Sure. I always figure that there's these huge hedgerows, and there's no way I can reach the whole top area. Oh, sure. So sure. I figure that, yeah, so we're going through. But I'm, but I'm keeping that in mind when I'm picking. That's the point, right, that I'm mm-hmm. keeping that ethical, sustainable mind every time. I, now, I don't know if you've heard of this. You probably have. But um, what about this? Uh, have you heard of this um, um, 2020, um, you know, like uh, this this rule of 20? Have you heard of this? I have. I've heard a number of different um, percentages and, um, you what know, you rules of thumb for amount. What is that? I mean, it's useful. I mean, a lot of people like numbers. <laughs> All right, um, right. But I think just, you know, being sensitive to the neighborhood where you're picking um, and, like I said, the needs not only of the plants, the the plants' reproductive needs um, and and the plants' well-being needs, but also, you know, the the needs of the rest of the ecosystem. Um, That's that's all important to keep in mind. I'm I'm not much of a numbers person. um, Right. Right. I think it's, you know, I found that very useful when I was starting out, just to just to keep yep. it in mind. But, yes, eventually you, because what if, uh, like you said, if I come and pick 20 and the next person picks 20. And yeah. The next, and yeah. what that is, by the way, everybody, that is, um, you know, one in every 20 leaves, one in every 20 flowers, one in every 20, you know, fruits or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that was uh, mm-hmm. just to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're just oh. talking about seasonal things, times a year. Um now, someone uh, emailed into me last week and couldn't quite, quite fit in with the conversation. But they asked, "What what are you um, in the winter time? You know that we're getting in now. What are some? What are a couple of things that a person can can harvest? Um, like well, where you are, anyway. Where I live, I harvest um, things like pine needles and um, spruce needles. What um, do you do? Basically, evergreen parts for uh, teas in the winter time." Uh, they're great. Expectorants, pine and spruce and so forth, are, are wonderful expectorants for, for colds. And um, that's most of the gathering I do in the winter. Um, I like to curl up by the wood stove and knit in the winter. <laughs> you all have uh, cottonwood um, trees? We, don't, we have a little bit of cottonwood up here, but not a whole lot. No, like we have massive amounts of so making balm and gilead. Is, is oh, Sure. Sure, that's a great thing to do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I um, my personal wild crafting is mostly really common species, you know. Mm-hmm. Or the other kind of harvesting I do myself is is salvage harvesting. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's going to come along and mow, including me, I, I admit I I don't mow very often, but when I do, I pick the plantain leaves out of the lawn before I mow it. <laughs> it makes something. I mow around the plantain leaves. Well, I, <laughs> my I, neighbor yeah, commented on it. What about that? that spot? 
and I mowed around a St. John's wort this year. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, I just I tend to go for the, the really common stuff. Or if somebody's, you know, my friends were, were digging a trench and there was a barberry in the way, so I took the roots, you know. Exactly, and uh, but but different places you're going to have. I mean, we're talking to people all over the country, and and everybody's got a different winter situation. So you know, someone in Florida is going to have a completely different. I mean, they're going to be able to harvest all year round. Um, other people, in, like in California, are mostly going to be harvesting. I I would suspect in the the moist seasons of the year. Right. Um, so get so, in touch with your seasons and and what's growing. Yes. What's and, um, going and, and what the what the botanical neighborhood is is doing at 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 your time of the year. Take your time and and yeah. get to learn things. And in time, you'll look around, and the whole neighborhood and the whole forest will be. Uh, we we wilderness awareness school. We call this uh, we call it the wall of green. Yeah. And and uh, sometimes he, you know I remember a time looking out into and I can go to you know I can go to different parts that uh, of the country or places that I'm not familiar with a lot of the trees and things or plants and and see a wall of green and 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 one by one before you know it all of those plants that are around you mm-hmm. just jump out and yep. you they just see who they are as individuals. Sure, sure they're definitely individuals. Yeah, you just kind of got to get close up close and personal with them a little bit and then get to see. You know, one of the things also that I I suggest to people is um, learn the basic difference, like like opposite leaves, alternate leaves, basal leaves, world leaves, compound leaves, simple leaves, so that so that you can use a field guide at least if the plant's in flower. Just you know, look something up really simply. But those few botanical um, words or terms um, are very helpful to know to to be able to start to look at plants. You know, it's okay. So being able to tell if it has opposite or alternate leaves, for example, is is really very simple. Sometimes it's not easy to tell if it's a compound or a a simple leaf, but but the uh, alternate opposite thing is pretty easy to grasp. And if anyone wants a good resource about learning that, there's a there's a field guide called uh, Newcomb's Wildflower Guide to Wildflowers, is it? In, yes, Newcomb's Wildflower Guide. That's a great one. And it Another. teaches you to look at patterns, and then you, and it's amazing. So if mm-hmm. you want to learn like how to identify plants, um, between that book and um, Botany in a Day by uh, Tom Elpel. That's the one I was going to suggest. That's another great one for understanding how to look at plants to. Because you know, if you if you can get a sense of the family, you learn a whole lot about the plant. For for example, if you know something's in the Malvaceae family, which is hollyhocks and marshmallows and um, uh-huh. cotton and things like that, there's no toxic plants in that family, and they're pretty much all mucilaginous. Same with mints too, right? Yeah, there's no toxic mints either. So if you can tell that it's a mint. You know that it's okay. You know, at least it, it won't harm you if you nibble on it. Um, and um, mustard family too is another one that they're all edible. They're not all that tasty, but all of them are edible. And um, and you can find mustards practically anywhere you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 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 that. But but, however, if you know that something looks like it's in the carrot family, what would we have to look out for? Oh, carrot family, you must be much more careful. Um, Yeah, yeah, uh, families like the carrot family and the ranunculaceae, um, I don't know the the common name for that family, but um, those plants have a lot of very, very toxic members, and it's easier to confuse them. So you really, if, if you know they're in one of those types of families, you want to be a lot more careful than if it's a a rose or a mint or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. important. That's very important. So that's where the families can really come in. Um, just on a side note, um, come on a naturalist training program, Wilderness Awareness School, really kind of takes you through slowly learning about, um, you know, how to look at plants. But it's also, a, of course, it teaches you birds and tracking and, and yeah. you know, uh, and, and trees and lots of other stuff too, but plants are part of it, of course, and right. um, right. and it does take you through that step by step. But if you just want to get a couple of books, the couple of main books that Kamani uses is the Newcomb's Wildflower Guide and the Botany in a Day, mm-hmm. for sure. Yep. 
Yeah. So um, when you're out there, say you're out there and you're picking something, uh-huh. you're out there and you're harvesting something, what's what's going through your mind as you're doing that? Oh, I'm I'm thinking about kind of the same sim- similar mindset as when I'm gardening. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm thinking about okay, well, what what would make this this patch of plants better, or what what do these plants need? Are they are they maybe a little thirsty, or do they need, they need to be thinned out? I do. When I harvest, I think a lot about. Um, Pruning, you know, or thinning, it's, it's kind of a horticultural approach, like I said. Um, so, for example, if I need uh, some bark from a, a cherry or something like that, I'll, I'll look for branches that are crossed or crowded, just as I would when I was pruning my apple trees. Mm-hmm. You know, or if I'm harvesting nettles, you know, I, I cut a little here, I cut a little there, I try to cut them so that the um plant can grow back like like if you plant if you cut basil in your garden and you, you cut it just above where the a leaf axle where you know two shoots will come back out on one on either side cuz the opposite plant mm-hmm. um it's easy on the plant if you if you just snip it just above there so i i think about what the plants need and what what would benefit them as well as what's benefiting me and um try to give back in that way Mm-hmm. And also, um, I would like to um, see what you thought too. Um, like even like when I look in in the Fermerta Herbalist book, where it's so thorough, he's so thorough in in so much about what you know about everything you can think of about going out. But something that that I'm sure you teach and and um, that I always tell people is um, to always you know somehow. Um, recognize or give thanks for the plant. When oh, you're doing absolutely. And different absolutely. people have different ways of doing that, depending mm-hmm. on your traditions mm-hmm. and religions or spiritual beliefs. But oh, there's but there's something from... about energetically. So, what do you think about that energetic exchange? Like, I always I always try to have you know happy, good thoughts, care caring thoughts in my mind. Absolutely, I think that's really important, and the plants respond to it. You know, I've I've had some interesting experiences with plants who really didn't feel like being picked, <laughs> and and so I didn't. You know, and then and then um, the example particularly is I was teaching a class on on um, herbs for um, herbs for gladness was the name of the class. So I wanted to make some um, some rose syrup, and oh. I went over to the garden at Sage and I picked a couple of roses and they were like, oh, okay, if you must. And I, I knew that that particular shrub of roses had been picked a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to a couple more and they were like, okay. And then I came over to my yard and there's a big patch of roses in the front and they were absolutely delighted to be picked. I mean, they were like, pick me, pick me. <laughs> so the, the, you know, picking up on the energy of the plant and and also... If you can't do that or you don't you don't um connect with plants in that way it's all right but but you should have a you should try to be sensitive i think to where the plants are at and have have a positive um caring uh mind when you're when you're gathering for sure because you're 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 preparing food and medicine, you know, and that's all about healing and well-being and nourishment and health. And you want to perpetuate that that energy and put that energy into what you're doing. And, and honestly, when I was started learning things and people would tell me that, I would be like, "Yeah, right." Sounded kind of weird, you know. <laughs> but um, as I was doing it, um, you know, as I started working with plants more and more and more and more. Um, you could really feel something just like you know, everyone knows out there when you, you can feel things off of people without any words being exchanged. Sure. So you can be next to somebody, standing next to them on a bus or standing next to them on line, and you can you just know what they may be feeling or you know, and and so that's uh, that. There's not much of a difference um, there. Oh you know, yeah, no. The the comparing it to humans is is a certainly apt. Um, comparison because i mean if you if i wanted your help would i ask you nicely or would i just grab you and say come help me you know what i exactly. mean exactly 
when you're asking these plants for their help and and their their nourishment, their their gifts, and and if you ask nicely, it's it's just a good thing all the way around, you know. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So that's 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 important. I so, think so um let's see here. Uh Well you were gonna ask me about processing after I Oh yeah, it. yeah. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, Proce- well you're um you know, one thing we discussed earlier that I think is very important and we wanted to talk about is making sure that when we go harvesting I mean, like me doing my little salvage harvest, you know, I I never know what's coming up. But when you purposefully set out with your basket to to harvest plants, make sure that you have enough time to take care of the plants after you've harvested them. You know, make sure that if you go in for St. John's wort flowers in the summer that you have enough olive oil and enough time to put those up. Mm -hmm. And... um, because you don't want to waste their gift, right? You know, you don't want to waste that medicine. And um, and I, I, you know, we all do a number of different things with the plants we harvest them. Sometimes they just get dried. Um, the simplest thing that I do is to lay them in baskets in my herb room uh-huh. um, and let them dry that way. But if it's if you live in a moist environment or if the weather is is damp here. There's a lot of plants um, like red clover, rosemary, even that um, don't dry very well just by, um, you know, in, in the environment. They they need a little extra, so you could put them in a dehydrator. Or That's what we like have that. to have where I live. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. Or you can just finish them off in a dehydrator to make sure that um, that they're crispy before you uh, put them in jars, so to make sure that they don't mold on you. Mm-hmm. Someday I will have a solar dryer, <laughs> but I yeah. don't know. Um, but yeah, make sure that you plan um, your your medicine making into your your harvesting schedule, into your into your day. You know, and, very um, important. I mean, I, I told mm-hmm. Betsy of a time when I was early on, and I was wanted to make dandelion wine. You know, and mm-hmm. I went out and I and I. Uh, harvested a big bucket of dandelions and I came home and I left them out and got really busy. You didn't really think the whole process through and well, they all molded. Yeah. And I just felt so That's bad exactly. and that was a good learning experience. For me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Dad, plants will go moldy quick. I mean, they'll go they'll go funky on you quick sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah. Some of them it's are. It's okay to make mistakes, you know. I mean, you learn from that. In fact, I, I uh, for the first, I got very lucky in my first couple of years, a lot of successes, and I started making a lot of mistakes, and I was thinking, hey, what's up? But then I realized, hey, I was making all these mistakes so I could teach other people what not to do. Yeah, there you go. You learn a lot <laughs> about what not to do. <laughs> yep, yep. But um, and and you know you don't you don't need really you don't need a heck of a lot of medicine unless it's a tonic that you take all the time like hawthorn berries or nettles or you know something like that that's a daily part of your your wellness. Um, for most things, you know, have a little bit of this and a little bit of that is just fine. And and you know, depending on who who you are and what level you're using herbs, if you're just taking care of your family. You know, think about plants that um, kind of cover the home remedy bases. You know, maybe you you want to have some cold, some things for colds, and maybe some things for urinary infections, or maybe you know, whatever your family digestive remedies certainly. You know, but digestive remedies are mostly in the spice cabinet, <laughs> which are always there. You know. Yeah. And Even cold remedies are often in the refrigerator. Yeah, oh, certainly. Early. I use thyme and sage a lot. You know, people use OSHA and golden seal for colds and flu. Pfft. Have some garlic and thyme and sage, you know? Oh, I never, I barely, you know, I rarely even use echinacea or anything like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I pretty much stick the uh, garlic, ginger, and, and yep. uh, like you said, sage. Yep. Mullen leaves, hyssop. Mm-hmm. Hyssop is one of my favorites. I, I have a nice patch in the garden out front. Hyssop, if you're not familiar with it, is in the mint family. It's um, it's a little sub sub shrub like a lavender um, or a sage, and uh, has similar requirements to sage. And it's it's a beautiful little plant, and um, and it's a great antiviral and respiratory tonic. Wow. And, um, yep. And uh, or and pine needles. That's another thing I put in in tea for for colds a lot. 
So, you know, having a little bit of these home remedy things, if if you're just, um, you know, taking care of yourself and your family is great. And um, and if you're if you have a practice and you're caring for other people and you're kind of a community herbalist, then then it's another story to to want to stock your apothecary, so to speak. But um, but for home remedies, you really you don't need a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to kind of, I, we talked about pine needles, mentioned that a couple of times. I just want to tell everybody a little trick. Uh, the, what, well, also what you're getting out of the pine needles is vitamin C, and vitamin C is very volatile. And so what you have to make sure you do is you boil your water first. And when your water's hot already, then put your chopped up vitamin C in it and steep it for 20 minutes. If you boil it with the, the needles, then you will very well dissipate the vitamin C. Yeah, you lose the vitamin C. You'll gain um, resins, though, that are more medicinal. True. Good point. For so like if you a, want, a yeah. No, this is a this is a really important thing. Is is different preparations of different plants give you different medicine. Good. Yeah. And with pine needles, like like John's saying, you know, vitamin C is a really great thing when you have a cold. It's a it's a wonderful and important thing, and especially if you're treating children. You're going to want to make them a really gentle brew that they're going to be, that you're going to be able to get them to drink. <laughs> and um, exactly the the uh, recipe John just gave is wonderful. Um, that if you had an older person with a, like a more stuck congestion and they needed a little stronger remedy, um, you can actually simmer the pine um, for a little while and you get more of the the um the oils and so forth and it makes a stronger expectorant that is also less palatable um but if you're sick enough you'll drink it you know um but yeah those those are important things i personally i think it's much more useful therapeutically to take big doses of gentle herbs mm-hmm. so like we're talking about the culinary herbs and pine and and hyssop and things like that mint mm-hmm. It's it's um because you can take big doses more often, and I think that's more useful than and certainly safer ecologically and um, personally than to go to stronger herbs right away. You, you know, know and um, because you can think of those gentler herbs more like food. Exactly. Like the nettles that some of you used in the roots and the branches course, and this is some of the stuff exactly what I'm going to be talking to Susan Weed about in a couple of weeks. Oh sure. Yeah, she's she's the she's the world expert on it. <laughs> yeah, she's also a big fan of getting to know one herb at a time really well, and just using yeah. what, what what the herbalists call that simples, you know, just a simple herb. That, that that and that's why I that's the other book I require in the Roots and Branches course is that is because exactly it. People often say, well, you know, I don't know about this book, and she's very strong in some of her language and beliefs, and I don't feel necessarily comfortable or whatever, and and. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard that before, right? And uh, and uh, I look at that book and it's incredible. Like you mm-hmm. can't find another book, healing wise, that covers the very basic, wonderful weedy species that are out there yep. and goes yep. into such depth and in, yep. in teaching you to do them one at a time. Yeah, and those are the plants to learn first. You know, the gentle ones, the really common ones. Mm-hmm. Dandelion, um, plantain, chickweed. Yeah. Um, burdock, you know, burdock. violet leaves. You know what? I've got another. <laughs> You're going to like this. We have a, a live wild crafting update going on in my house. Now, now, my son is seven, and he's, you know, okay, you know, that's enough said, right? So earlier, <laughs> I just, uh, earlier on, on this Sunday, past Sunday, he was on the way home from the ferry dock, right? And then he, he we ended up in the emergency room. He was on his way back from Lopez Island with my wife and with my, my daughter, and he he hurt himself and ended up in the emergency room uh, splitting his head open a little, and it was oh. nothing major. It was okay. Everything turned out okay, right? So here we are three days later, <laughs> and uh, he uh, just got home from um, from Wilderness Awareness Youth School where he was getting knife certified today. And he goes oh, there boy. once a week and does wilderness stuff. So he's my little seven-year-old getting knife certified. Not too many uh, seven-year-olds in school. That's not too many of their schoolings, right? Yeah. So anyway, he managed, of course, to cut himself. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know. It's horrible. I'm laughing. But it's just like one of those, like, oh, no, not again kind of parent things, you know? Yeah. And then so my wife just runs down and asks me, you know, you're here in the call. 
<laughs> and then uh, we went out in the back. She ran out in the backyard, and there's a tiny little patch of yarrow growing. She there went you and go. Take some yarrow, because on those deep cuts, you can look at a yarrow leaf, and what do you see? Like a serrated blade almost. Cut. If you look at the shape of a, and they're great for deep cuts. So she just took a, that upstairs and chewed it up, and now he's got yarrow on his finger. Right. So, yep. Uh, he, I was just going to say, I'm not going to tell my in, my emergency yarrow picking story. <laughs> oh no! What are you? What's your story? You're not going to. Oh tell no! Me. I have I have used yarrow for bleeding. Um, definitely. <laughs> yep, it's great stuff. Yeah. So anyway, it's a you know. That's a plan I would I would not want to be without yarrow in the yard. I really wouldn't want to be without yarrow in the yard and plantain. Plant. Mm-hmm. That, those are yeah. two that you know I would I really I would miss them if I didn't have them. In fact, I did miss them. I was when I was taking the um, awareness class in Florida at the tracker school. They led us through some fire ants, and I didn't have any. There was no plantain around, and um, I mean I probably could have found something if I'd wandered around enough, but. Um, I was very uncomfortable without plantain. I wish I had a lot to stick all over my feet, you know. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, no herbs are herbs are great, and and that's one of the things about knowing the simple remedies that are right around your house. So you can just run out and get something when you need it. You know, you don't have to worry about whether you've harvested it and dried it and put it up or made medicine out of it. You just run out the door, unless like at my house, there's two feet of snow. Um, you run out the door and get it when you need it, which, of course, blows our little rule about where's the energy, you know, but plants are really very accommodating. And, and if it's there and, you know, it's um, in reasonable shape, it's still going to work, you know. You know, speak, speaking of that, you know, because we're kind of getting near the end here, but I wanted to, uh, speaking of that, like if you do have something in your backyard and when you're picking things in your backyard um, or even just anywhere in your town, some safety things, a couple of things you know so far from the road, that kind of thing. What what do you right, tell people? Right. I tell people, um, you know, not within 75 feet or so of a well-traveled road. If it's, you know, a logging road or a farm road, that's no big deal. But I stay away from well-traveled roads. I, tra- I stay away from um, power lines and railroad tracks mm-hmm. generally because those areas had been sprayed um Fortunately, they don't so much do that anymore. They they come in with giant mowers and so forth. But um, but those areas were sprayed formerly, and um, so I worry about what's still lingering. Um, you know, I worry about commercial farm fields. I I don't harvest um, near or on um, commercial, in in other words, pesticide and herbicide and so forth using um, farms. I did mm-hmm. all of my uh, wild edible gathering, and and now it, you know if I was gonna look for a good place to harvest around the edges of farm fields are, are great. Edges in general are very biodiverse places, mm-hmm. um, but I, I stay away from any place people have sprayed stuff, um, and that might even be a park too. You know if they're spraying the dandelions or whatever. Exactly. Got to be careful. You know, I'm going to give my big secret here that I tell people in the Roots and Branches course about what I do because we're talking about here, you know, we pick most of the species that we're picking, a lot of these very kind of things that grow out in fields and are more considered weeds by everyone else. Mm-hmm. And who are they considered weeds by more than anyone? Well, or, well, maybe not anyone, but, I mean, by the uh, a lot of the farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're blessed in our valley with a lot of organic farms. And um, they're more than ha- I know them all, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and they're more than happy when John comes by to pick their, you know, dandelions or to pick their burdock or to pick their red clover or any anything. Sure. I mean, everything that I use, I get abundance for, and 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 it's welcome. Then it establishes a relationship with my the farmers in the area. They get to know me and right. and just go up and ask them, and they'll yep. be like, yeah, take my weeds. Yep. Well, that's it's true. It's true. <laughs> Let's, I mean, that's kind of the, the the crux is, you know, you do it in a good way and everybody benefits, not not just you, and but the the plants and the ecosystem and everybody benefits when you do it in a in a kind and considerate manner. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I uh, got a email from somebody today, and um, 
you had mentioned briefly earlier, just as we're wrapping things up, I just want to get to at least one question. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, you mentioned before about gardening as a great way to grow herbs, um, to keep them near you, especially ones that may not grow, um, you know, just in the wild around you. Like there's certain herbs like elecampane, uh, yep. uh, comfrey, and, and yarrow, and there's a lot of bone set, um, let's see, marshmallow. These are these are herbs that I'm not going to have grown up, but I got out grown in the yard because I can go out and I can, you know, make medicine with them. They're very easy. I got to have it so it's easy to grow. If it's not simple, <laughs> it, if I have to water it, forget it. Like. Right. right. <laughs> oh, there are some wonderful, very accommodating <laughs> herbs that you can grow. Um, I always have sage. Sage is really easy, you know, salvia officinalis. Mm-hmm. Um, calendula. Calendula, oh, I love calendula. It's Fine. really easy and just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So is echinacea. Easy, uh, echinacea purpurea. Um, easy, beautiful. Um, elecampane is a great one to have. Elecampane is a really underrated plant. It's amazing and it's great beautiful. And it's I've like, got a uh, herbal branch. You can get the back issue for it, which uh, folks on the website, which will show you how to make honey with it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a sunflower, so it's a tall, leafy sunflower plant. Um, what else somebody have I uh, asked me about uh, blue cohosh, and um, and uh, they have it planted on the northeast side of a building. It gets mm-hmm. lots of shade from trees nearby, yep. and every year it grows from the root until it gets a foot high, and then nothing else happens, and eventually it dies down. And it's done this for three years, and she wants to transplant it somewhere else, but doesn't know where. Mm. Uh, Lukohosh likes remote forested areas. Mm-hmm. It's rel- relatively common in Vermont, but I haven't seen it in a lot of other places. Um, but it, it definitely likes like the more off the beaten trail, foresty, wilder, foresty areas. And it should get it should get closer to um, two feet tall. It's not a super big plant. Um, it it should get closer to two feet though, and it it makes these beautiful little berries that look a lot like a blueberry, except mm-hmm. that they don't have the little navel the way a blueberry does. Mm-hmm. But um, that's how you know it'll be happy if it if they bloom very very early. They bloom just as they're emerging from the earth, mm-hmm. and then. Then they make these berries that are our most um, um, obvious later in the season when they we turn this, this deep deep blue black. Great. So there's hopefully that will help you, uh, Rita, who asked that question. Yeah. So um, as we wrap up here, I want to ask you one final question um, sure. before we kind of raffle off that cool prize. Uh, uh, um, Tell me how I can join United Plant Savers, and tell me how um, you know what, how does my uh, donation help? Oh, great question! Mm-hmm. Um, our website is www.unitedplantsavers.org, and if you log on to the site, there's lots of info, um, but there's a, like a list of buttons on the left-hand side, and one of them says "Join Us." And you can go in there and print out the form. We're not set up for credit cards because we want to put all our money is into saving plants. <laughs> so, um, so you'll have to print out the form and send it. Or conversely, if you not don't have the internet or you don't feel like printing out a piece of paper, take a piece of, of scratch paper. I don't care if there's something on the other side, as long as I can read it. Put your name, address, and contact info, phone, and/or email, and send it with a check for $35, which is the annual membership fee, to United Plant Savers, P.O. Box 400, East Barrie, Vermont, 05649. And currently um, what we're working on, we've been doing um, substantial renovations to the um, facilities at the sanctuary in Ohio so that we can start an internship program back up there. And that will be very exciting. Um, wow. We 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 also give out grants. Um, you have to be a member to get a grant, but, you know, that's not a big deal. Um, but the grants that we give out are um, for projects like community gardens and educational nature trails. And um, usually educational in nature. Um, we love projects involving kids. Um, 
and th- those kind of things. Re- restoration projects that that involve education um, are the kind of things that we fund. So those are some of where your donations will go. So everyone, I just want to tell you that if you're getting want to get into herbs and working with herbs and Nothing, you know, some of you live out in maybe remote areas. You don't have an herbal school or people near you. You know, there's there's no better way to get involved in just energetically than get involved with a group like United Plant Savers. You get to network, connect with other people. Like you are here on Learning Herbs, like the more you're connected with people, the more you'll really feel supported in your learning, and then it, you don't feel so alone when you're out there and you don't have neighbors who are maybe you're into this as much as you are, and the people that don't quite understand why you're not mowing all of your plantain or why you don't <laughs> why you don't spray Roundup on your dandelions. <laughs> I'm sure my old neighbor where I used to live wondered why I didn't mow very much. <laughs> well, that's a long story, but I once got paid when I was a teenager for spraying dandelions. <laughs> and boy, have I come you around. You heavily. <laughs> now I have a company where it's in my logo. <laughs> Right, there you go. I, I love dandelions. I, I just think they're marvelous. I have a I have a um page on the wall here that I copied out of the bread and puppet subversive vegetable calendar for ni- two thousand and six and it's a um a woodcut of a dandelion and above it is in in large type is the word resist. <laughs> So I copied that off the calendar. The ultimate survivor the of the dandelion. <laughs> so, um, so I've got a few here announcements before we cut it off and give away the prize and stuff. And um, I'm gonna let Betsy go here. She can hang out and listen if she wants. But I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing okay. what you shared with us and helping all the people that were out there. And and um, thank you, know. you so much. This has really been a treat. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Sure <laughs> like, is. I get to uh, get in touch with my old uh, radio DJ days, and feel, I feel kind of kind of feeling like Terry Gross <laughs> <laughs> on fresh air. Yeah, I know who you mean. <laughs> uh, so, um, just a couple of things, um, just a couple of announcements here. Um, if anybody was thinking about getting an herbal medicine making kit. Um, I announced in an herbal branch that we're taking a break for a while because we're a bit busy um, with wildcraft coming and everything. And we've I didn't even think this could possibly happen, but we sold nearly 67 in three weeks, and that was nearly all that I was going to make. And I thought that was going to last me through December. But I've got about nine of them left. So if anybody's listening and wanted to give it as a gift, um, I would now is the time um, because they're going to be gone for a while. Um, we also have copies on the website for sales from Earth to Herbalist that I talked about. It's also on here. Um, a couple of frequently asked questions about Wildcraft and Herbal Adventure Game. People have been wanting to know when it's going to be ready for sale. Um, later the night of the Susan Weed interview, the November 30th, it will go, go up for sale. And probably shipping around December 5th, we got confirmation that it is on the boat, on the way. We even got our first couple of cases via airmail, and we're really excited. It looks incredible. Um, so uh, people want to know if there's a discount. Yep, you can get a free one for every five that you buy. Um, and uh, that's that. And let's see, November 27th uh, is our next teleconference, and we've got John Young. He's world-famous tracker and naturalist, and he's extremely knowledgeable in plants and nature, natural health. He's, he's is a guy that can talk about anything, and he's extremely entertaining to listen to, really, no matter what he's talking about. So. He sure is. <laughs> he, uh, pro- I think he was teaching at the tracker school for a little while while you were there, probably. Oh, I've I've listened to John teach a couple of times. Yep, he's really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, I, it's um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Um, and then we wrap up the series on November 30th with Susan Weed, and uh, that'll be a full call probably. Um, then you can get, and if you want to attend either of these two, you can go back and sign up for them if you didn't sign up for them before. Um, let's see. And uh, oh yes, and now the final moment. We're all you've been waiting for. Tonight I'm raffling off a copy of Shunlea's Quest. Do you know this book, Betsy? No, I don't. Well, Shunlea's Quest is a very under um, under promoted book. Uh, Tom Elpel, the the man who brought us Botany in a Day, which has been a savior for us who learn and teach about plants. Mm-hmm. Um, came out with this book, and it is uh, written by him, and, and it's a children's book, but it's for ages, it says, 9 to 99. It's a botany adventure for kids. And say, so what happens here? You know how Betsy and I were talking about fam- plant families before? 
Um, it teaches plant families. Shanlea is a character. She goes from island to island, and there's the pea island, there's the mustard island. And so it teaches kids the patterns of the plants uh, in each family in a beautifully illustrated children's book. Oh, how wonderful. It's so cool. And I do sell that on Learning Herbs, too. But somebody, I'm not going to tell you who, I'm going to do my special high-tech raffling system here. And um, let's see here. And it's very high tech. He'd be all be would be so impressed with. Uh, with Throw a uh, piece of paper out of a jar. <laughs> you pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do our raffles. Except that I, I lost the little the little thing where I uh, had the name all organized. Uh, just give me a second here. I feel so. Now, I was all organized, Betsy. What happened? I'm sorry. Maybe we, I'm just. We, you know, what we usually do with raffles. We get we get children to pick out of baskets to make it really fair because we know that children couldn't possibly <laughs> cheat, so we get kids to do it. <laughs> Here she is. Here she is. Okay, it's uh, Ellen McGlynn. Ellen McGlynn. I will email you, and then you can reply with your uh, with your address and uh, for me. Got your got that all lined up for you. All right. So Ellen, congratulations on that, and um, everyone. I look forward to having you all back to John Young and Susan Weed's talk. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again to Betsy. And I hope everyone has a great night and got a lot out of this talk. Um, so say, say bye, Betsy. Thank you again. <laughs> Take good care. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.